0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. We're looking at verses 42 to 47, actually picking up from where we left off a few weeks ago, actually at the start of this particular sermon series. Acts 2, starting with verse 42, there are uh, a lot of studies, recently polls and surveys that are concluding that we as Americans are a lonely people. Uh, George Gallup has done a number of polls and his conclusion, looking at all the results, is that Americans are among the loneliest people in the world percentage of one-person households in the United States is 26%, which is the highest in the world. The American Sociological Review in the year 2006 did a survey and found that one quarter of all Americans say they have no one to confide in, no one with whom they can share their deepest pains and Secrets. That's double the amount in 1985. Atlantic Magazine, year 2012, came out with an issue on the cover that asked this question, is Facebook making us lonely? And in the article, this is stated, we have never been more detached from one another or lonelier In a world consumed by ever more novel modes of socializing, we have less actual society. We live in an accelerated contradiction. The more connected we become, the lonelier we are. Which reminds me of that classic Beatles song, All the Lonely People, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Lonely people belong here, belong here in this church. You might be here today feeling lonely, feeling that you don't belong, feeling that you don't have a place, feeling that you don't have anyone in whom you can confide. And particularly as our church changes and we are in this new sanctuary, I'm guessing that some of you are feeling maybe like things aren't quite as personal, they're not quite as close as they used to be. Perhaps since we've been worshiping here, you've been feeling even more detached from others in your church, and that's only contributed to this feeling of loneliness. But well, I just want you to know, friends, that we at this church and the leaders of this church are committed to fighting against this trend. We don't want to give in to the cultural trends toward increasing isolation and loneliness. One of the ways that we can be truly countercultural is to pursue community <clears throat> with all the energy that we have, and that is something that we're committed to do. And the primary means by which we are seeking to do that here in this church is through small groups, the meeting together regularly of small groups. We mention these groups to you pretty regularly. I want to state this in the strongest terms possible. I want you to know, friends, that we are not just a church that has small groups. We're not just a church that's kind of offering small groups, one in among, one in a list of many opportunities for you to do something here. We are a church that is small groups. We are small groups. If you think of Sunday morning worship as the the heart perhaps of the church you can think of our small groups as the circulatory system where the life blood of the gospel and God's spirit is pumped through the body here at New Life. We are a church of small groups Now, the reason we're talking about this is because we're continuing our sermon series called Life Together Life in a Changing Community. Things have been changing here at New Life, and so we're giving attention to several passages of Scripture to help us adjust to the changes that are taking place. We started with the sermon on church membership, consider the importance of that. We look at spiritual gifts, the importance of encouraging one another. Last week, we looked at giving of our resources or money to church. And today, we're talking about community, specifically, how is it that we connect to people? How is it that we know people? How is it that we care for one another? And here in Acts chapter 2, we have a remarkable passage that captures the strong community that was present in the early church. And that's what we're going to read here now. This is a description of one of the earliest gatherings of the early church shortly after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. You might recall from a few weeks ago that the church was actually rather large, and that was a very changing community as well. 3,120 people belonged to this church, and we're going to look here and see how they pursued community. So please rise for the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. God's word says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. We believe these are your words preserved for us by your Holy Spirit. So accompany this message with a great outpouring of your Spirit to soften hearts and give us faith and shape us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, use this to knit us together as a loving, blessed community. For your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Before we get into this, I want to point out something in verse 46 that I think is very important for the purpose of this sermon. You might be thinking, why small groups? Small groups are uh, kind of a way of doing ministry that's been pretty strongly emphasized in the church over the last couple of decades. It might seem something kind of trendy, perhaps, but if you look at verse 46, notice what the early Christians were doing. They were attending the temple, it says, together but then also breaking bread in their homes. Now, isn't that an interesting um, kind of dual way of meeting? They had a formal gathering, a formal worship gathering in the temple. That's like what we're doing here. This isn't a temple, but that's similar to what we're doing here. But in addition to that, they had an informal gathering. They also met in their homes. And all of us need both of those things. We need the formal gathering, Sunday morning worship, like we're doing now, but we also need informal, small group opportunities to get connected to one another. And many of us will take one and not the other. Some of us might have small group meetings, and we think that's sufficient. I don't need to go to church on Sunday mornings. But you need both. Some of you come to church on Sunday mornings, but you think, I don't need small groups. I don't need to get together with other Christians. And that also is out of balance with what the scriptures are teaching us here. So the purpose of this message is to communicate to you through this passage what we at New Life hope to do through our small groups. And there are three things. And the first is this, that through small groups, we seek to have fellowship with one another. Now, that's pretty clear here in verse 42, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Key word, Fellowship. Um, I don't like to talk about the Greek so much, but this Greek word is a word you actually might know. It's used very often uh, to describe what Christian fellowship is. It's a word called koinonia. And what that word means, actually it's translated in a number of different ways in the New Testament. It's translated as participation. It's translated as partnership. In other places it's translated as sharing, sharing. But maybe the key word that gets to what this word means is the word common. Because if you look at the end of verse 44, do you see how it says, all who believed were together and they had all things in common. Do you see that? That word common is koine, the root of the word koinonia. At the root of this Greek word for fellowship is the word that means common. So what fellowship really is, is sharing or participating in a common life. We together have a life that we share together. Now, what is this life? What is it that we have in common? Well, it's this. All of us here who are believers in Christ we all have something profoundly in common. And that is that there was a time when we were all lost spiritually, where we were dead in our trespasses and sins, spiritually dead, when we were under the wrath and condemnation of God. There was a time when we were separated from God, apart from Him, strangers to God, estranged from Him. We all used to be that way. But something happened. Something happened to us. God did a work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit bringing us to the point that we would trust and believe what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And so now we come and we know we've been redeemed. We've been pardoned. We've been justified before God's law. We've been rescued. We've been saved. And it's through what Jesus has done. He gave up his life. He shed his blood. He's resurrected from the dead. And he lives now and forevermore. And we share in that life and in that resurrection power. And all of us have that in common. We all share the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. That's what fellowship is it's something that we have, it's something that we possess. It's an objective reality that is true about us. In other words, it's much more than just a social activity. It's much more than just a fish fry on Friday night. It's more than just having a pitch-in together. It's more than just meeting for lunch. It's more than just hanging out. Fellowship is a profound status that Christians, brothers and sisters, have together, a shared life in Christ. And that's why it's so, really, it's odd, it's bizarre when a Christian will say, I can live my Christian life on my own, by myself, and I'll be just fine. I don't need other Christians in my life. I can watch Charles Stanley on Sunday morning, and I can have my private Bible study, and I will be just fine. Friends, that is absolutely contrary to who you are as a Christian. You have been placed in a body with brothers and sisters and share a common life. To seek to live in obedience to Jesus apart from other Christians is something like a married couple choosing to live in different states. They're just denying who they are. Objectively, they are married and they belong together, and yet they're apart. That's an aberration. Here's what Jerry Bridges says. To be objectively in fellowship with other believers, that is simply by being a Christian... While we experientially or in our practice deny that very fellowship by trying to live away from Christians and live on our own, is to contradict the clear teaching of the Bible and to live in disobedience to the revealed will of God. Friends, does that describe you? Have you been trying to live the Lone Ranger Christian life? The early Christians here, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to this commonality that they had together. This is something, actually, that only Christians have, too. Do you know that? I mean, th- here's kind of an interesting thing to think of. There are people who live in the same family together but don't have fellowship because one is a Christian and the other is not. You might be married to someone who's not a Christian. You, you have a marital relationship with them, but if that other person's not a Christian, you don't have fellowship with them. You can have friendship with non-Christians, and you should, and I hope you do, but you don't have fellowship with non-Christians. Fellowship, koinonia, is something that's reserved for those who know Jesus and who have partaken of His resurrected life through faith. Now, there are other, there are activities that go along with fellowship. We look back at verse 42. Look at what's happening here. As they devote themselves to fellowship, they're also devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So here's something that characterizes Christian fellowship. When we think about the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles taught about the gospel. They taught about Jesus. They taught about Jesus' word, and they wrote that word down for us We don't hear the apostles speaking now, we read what the apostles wrote in our Bibles. So the way Christian fellowship happens today is devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching as it has been recorded in scripture. So discussion, teaching, meditation on the Bible is an essential part of Christian fellowship. If you're together with Christian friends and you're never talking about the Bible, you're not really having true fellowship. But what else happens? They are also devoted to the breaking of bread, it says, in verse 42. Now, there's debate about exactly what this means. This probably means communion. The believer's sharing communion here. But this likely took place in the context of a larger fellowship meal. So it's more than just communion. I think they're getting together and having a meal together. And that's a great way to have fellowship, isn't it? Uh, We don't conduct communion in our small group meetings. We do that the third Sunday uh, of uh, every month. This is one of the ways that fellowship is being observed here among the early Christians. And then at the end of verse 42 we see that they're also devoted to the prayers. They're praying together. They're praying. Now this is one of the things I think that come, maybe holds some of us back from being involved in a small group because we know that if we're going to get involved in a small group we're going to have to reveal who we are. We're going to have to be vulnerable. We're, we're going to have to open up our heart and let people see what's inside. That's essential to the functioning of a good small group. You've got to be able to say, you know, look, I'm struggling with pornography. Again, I, My marriage has fallen apart. I'm not sure I believe in Jesus anymore. Those are the kinds of things that we ought to be sharing with each other in our small groups. Why? So we can pray for each other, so that we can intercede on behalf of each other. Do you know how sweet it is to hear someone else pray for your burdens and griefs and fears? I would say that it is the most powerful ministry you can have in someone else's life is to just simply pray for them. And the most powerful ministry someone else can have in your life is for you to allow them to pray for you. But you gotta open up. You gotta reveal who you are to allow people to pray. And so these things are going on in the early church. These are essential to Christian fellowship. You need to be in fellowship. You have fellowship if you're a Christian, but you need to live in fellowship. And as this church grows, this becomes increasingly essential. Because we're at a point now as a church where Pastor Brian and and I and, and the other elders, as much as we love to know all of you and to be intimately involved in all your lives, we can't do that. It's just impossible. It becomes more difficult for the leaders of the church to be involved in everyone's lives. And so these small groups are necessary to meet that need. If you want to be well cared for in this church, you need to be in a small group. You need to come on Sunday mornings and hear the preaching of the word. You need to be taught by pastors, but you also need to open yourself up to be taught by your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look what it says here in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We should probably sing more in our small groups, actually, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you see how Christians can teach one another? That's something that should go on in small groups. All of your teaching, all of your shepherding does not need to come from pastors. It can come from one another. And again, that's all the more important uh, given the changes that are taking place in new life. So here are some options for you. I want you to see these. Um, Some small groups, ways you can be involved in small groups. We have small group marriage mentoring. Um, These are for engaged couples and married people. So you don't have to be married to be in a group. You could be engaged, but neither are these groups simply for people in marriages that are in crisis. These are for all marriages, for anybody who simply wants to learn how to be a better spouse. Uh, Consider this preventive medication to keep your marriages healthy and to prevent the onset of problems. It's an option. I think the marriage mentoring group now is filled, but we'll have others starting uh, at the start of the year. Pure Desire. We have a, a small group ministry called Pure Desire. These are small groups that meet to go through Pure Desire curricula, which teaches people, shows people how to, to liberate themselves from addiction to pornography. And friends, we had a a great conference here, Friday night and Saturday morning, Porn Kills But Jesus Saves, our second annual conference on this, and it was outstanding. It was so good. Every uh, teacher was, was excellent. We heard some powerful stories of the work of the Holy Spirit, some wonderful opportunities of how to serve each other and care for each other in our struggle against pornography. And friends, I just gotta be quite frank, there should have been a whole lot more people here this weekend than there were. We got a lot of room here, and it, it was wonderful. But one of the things that have, has come out of that are these small groups, these pure desire small groups. And one's been meeting for about a year. I talk to these guys, and they just tell me how, how powerful it's been, how liberating, how helpful the group has been. And we're going to have other groups. And so I'm not going to expose any names here. If you're interested in one of these groups and you want to get involved, talk to me after the service. And I'll get you in touch with the right people. Oh, we got a YAMS group, Young Adult <coughs> Ministries, for college age people uh, as well as Young Adults Meets Tuesday Night. Um, been going very well. The, the, the primary small group that we have here at New Life, however, are, are our life groups. And these are the groups that meet every week or every other week, some here at the church, some in other people's homes, and they meet to pursue fellowship, to talk about the apostles' teaching, the Word of God, to pray for one another, often to eat together. And this is the primary way that we encourage people to connect with one another and build relationships. You need to be in a life group. If you're committed to this church and you want to know people and you're thinking, I am so lonely and this is a church where I just can't connect to anybody, I just got to say, are you in a life group and have you given your life group time? Get in a life group if you're not already in one. There's many options the ministry has been going really well this year. Um, I'll tell you more about life groups here in a little while. But that's going to be kind of my primary focus for the rest of this message, life groups. Um, leads us to the second point. Through small groups, we not only have fellowship, but through small groups, we also serve the needy. Through small groups, we have a vehicle by which we can serve the needy. Look at verse forty. 4 and 45, verses 44 and 45. Look what the early Christians are doing. All who believed, they were together. They had all things in common. And what were they doing? They were selling their possessions and their belongings. And then they were distributing the proceeds to all the money that they made from their possessions. They were giving to those who had need as any had need. Need. A little later in chapter 4, verse 34, it says that there, were not, there was not a needy person among them in the early church. There was no needy people. Everybody's needs was taken care of. Now, some people look at this and say, isn't this, isn't this biblical precedent for communism? Isn't this teaching that we ought to have a communist form of government? Well, no, I think that's a misreading of this. Passage for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, notice that um, the distribution of resources here is not controlled by the state. Uh, these people are given giving voluntarily, and it's not a fixed rate of giving like a quarterly or annual tax. These people are giving according to need, as any had need. It said at the end. Of verse 45 implied there is that when there's no need this probably wasn't happening but when there was a need people voluntarily stepped forward and were willing to give to those in need these are people who have received the love of christ in the gospel they know what it is to be poor spiritually but to be given the riches of christ's righteousness and their hearts are filled with gratitude and they overflow now with love for the needy among them. That's what's motivating these people to serve. It's like they were asking as they were in this community when they were making major decisions, not what's best for me in this situation. Instead they were asking what's best for us? What's best for us? What's best for the community of faith to which I belong? That that had to have been the way they were processing things in order to make the kinds of decisions that they were making, selling their possessions and blessing others. Well, how can we do that here at New Life? Again, small groups. I think through small groups we can meet a lot of needs. We have nine small groups here, at New Life, but there's about 150 people involved in our small groups, which is wonderful. That, that's a lot of people, but that also tells me that a lot of mercy can be extended through the loving hearts of 150 Christians. So let me show you some things that we can do. You might be thinking, well, how, how do, what does this look like? How can I do this? Well, first of all, there's needs within your small groups, so... You know, somebody gets sick, somebody has a baby, uh, that family needs meals. It should be the small group who is aware of that, organizes that, and takes care of that need. Small groups should be looking out for one another in this way. Now, don't put all of that responsibility on your life group leader, Uh, we can delegate, we can have different people responsible for different things. Maybe there's a person who's responsible for overseeing meals and making sure they get to the right people. People are sometimes in the hospital. Brian and I will try to be there as best as we can. We, We want to be there for you. In addition to that, I would say, small groups organize hospital visits. Set it up where one person goes one day, another person goes another day. Get a schedule. Make sure the people in your group are loved and cared for if they're laid up in the hospital. Somebody's moving, maybe. They need help moving stuff out of their house, into the truck, and to the new location. Life groups get together and try to meet those needs. But there's other ways. we can serve the needy, not just the needy in our groups, but we can serve the needy outside our groups as well. And there are a lot of needs uh, in this area. You might know Delaware County has a very high poverty rate. I think I've heard second or third highest poverty rate in the state of Indiana. A lot of needs here. So here's some ways your life groups can be involved in meeting needs. The Muncie Mission needs help. Uh, Frank Baldwin and Anna, they're the leaders of the Muncie Mission, members here at this church, and they're more than eager to help us to know how to do this, but I know they need help preparing meals for the residents there. They get a lot of food in. That food needs to be sorted and organized, and particularly as we get close to the holidays, there's going to be increasing need for this kind of service. Maybe your life, life group can find a weekend or a month or some time that you are willing to go and help the Muncie Mission. Reach Yorktown, that Larry prayed for a moment ago. This is a mercy ministry to Mount Pleasant Township right here in our Yorktown area. Um, They have a food distribution event on the third Saturday of every month. They have a warehouse in Yorktown down on Broadway near the railroad tracks, and they need people to, to come and help prepare food and to distribute Food to the needy. Uh, there, that ministry has been growing and doing wonderful work. They would be delighted to have a life group come alongside. The Bread Basket, another mercy ministry um, that some new lifers are involved in. This is in Muncie, and they provide food to the poor on Saturday mornings from 9 a.m. to noon every Saturday. They feed about a hundred people every Saturday. And what they need is about three to four volunteers every Saturday to come in and and help. So I can see a life group. Maybe a life group will take Breadbasket for a month and assign three people one Saturday, three people another Saturday, et cetera. You got 12 or 15 people in a group, you've covered a whole month for the Breadbasket. Elmcroft, Assisted Living, a ministry we've been doing here for a long time at New Life. Uh, It's been kind of in hiatus lately. Maybe this is something you life groups could discuss. Can we be involved in helping to serve at Elmcroft? Maybe we could go one Sunday afternoon. We we used to go once a month, Sunday afternoon. Someone gives a three or four minute devotion, sing a couple songs, and just hang out and listen to and hold the hands of the residents in that place. And they love it. They have been expressing over and over again their appreciation for our ministry Our ministry there. Life groups, talk about this. Can you serve? Can you help at Elmcroft? This is my my charge to you life groups, my assignment to you. As you meet here this week or next week or whenever you meet, discuss these things, okay? I've sent information to all the life group leaders with these ministries and contact information for these people. And I would just ask you among your groups to just discuss it and talk about whether you can help uh, in this way. Because I'll tell you, if you wanna really grow close to people, you wanna connect to people, you need not to just sit face to face, you need to serve side by side. That's the way to get bonded with people. That's the way to develop deep, lasting relationships. I think C.S. Lewis hit on this pretty well. He says this, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. (laughs) Friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for for dominoes or white mice. I don't know why people would have an enthusiasm for white mice, I don't know what the context is there. Um, Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. It is uh, very rewarding to get together with people you love and serve alongside um, to help the needy. All right, one last thing that we do through small groups. We evangelize the lost. We evangelize the lost. Look what happens here in verse 47. They're praising God. They're having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being Saved. People were being saved. Now, what's the occasion for this? Notice in verse 47, isn't that interesting? Praising God and having favor with all the people. Well, I I think that's a reference to the people outside the church community who were looking in with great favor when they noticed the fellowship, the prayers, the service, the unity that was going on in that place. And they were saying, that is a remarkable community. God must be in that place. And they were drawn to the work of the community. I mean, I think we should think of evangelism certainly as individual opportunities that we have during the week, but let's think about evangelism as a community project. It's something we're doing together. It could be that as people come into the community that that would be what God would use to draw them to faith in Jesus. I think sometimes we think, well, I've got to get this person to believe, then I'll bring them to church. How about bring them to church in the confidence that then they'll believe? I mean, that's very likely, assuming you have a community of people who love one another, a community where there's a unity of spirit, where there's grace and mercy and truth. I mean, if you think this is a place like that, then bring people here. Here's what um, a British missionary named Leslie Newbigin said, (laughs) he said, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? How do we make the gospel plausible, persuasive to people? I'm suggesting that the only answer is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. That's how people will come to faith. I mean, we've got to tell them the gospel, of course. We've got to call them to faith. But they want to see the faith at work. They want to see that the gospel makes a difference in the way we relate to one another. Again, small groups is a way to do this. Consider your small groups as an opportunity to invite unbelievers. They, you know, Unbelievers that might never step foot in a church on Sunday morning. So bring them to your life group. Maybe you could have a chair set up in your life group, an empty chair every time you meet. That represents the unbeliever that we want to be here but is not here yet. And you pray, God, show us, who can we invite to this place? Bring him into the community. Let them see the love and unity that you have as a small group. Well, I'm going to conclude here by showing you a video. We showed this several weeks ago, but it's just a really good video talking about life groups. So let's take a look at that now.
1: The reason we got involved in a life group was a friend of ours invited us to come, but we also have really much enjoyed to be able to meet people in the church that maybe we wouldn't have normally met, and just even getting to know more people here that sometimes it seems intimidating when there's so many people each Sunday, but the life group is a little bit more intimate, so we're able to meet more people. The church to me is a big part of my life anyway, and then to get to know other people better. And you feel like you could ask for prayer, and they prayed, and we would go around the room and each person would say what was on their heart that night, and then we would pray for everyone.
0: Just people. Anybody who wants to come is welcome to come. Um, It's the same people who make up the church. It's just ordinary people.
1: When my family and I moved to Muncie, we didn't know anyone. And there's so many things that you take for granted when you've lived in one place for a long time. But when you're new to an area, um, it could be difficult to find basic things like a doctor or a babysitter. Uh, But we found New Life and shortly after joined the Life Group. And in our experience, Life Group has not only been a time of fellowship and fun, but it's also been the place that we've turned to when we needed help. So when we needed a doctor, they were sure to point us in the right direction. Um, when I have teacher work days that I have to work and my daughter doesn't have to go to school, the girls have always been more than willing to watch her. And then, of course, when it's the middle of winter and I get a flat tire while my husband's out of town, uh, the guys from Life Group were more than willing to come help. They got me one I to school, changed the flat, and delivered my car all before lunchtime. So the relationships that we formed in our Life Group have been such a blessing to us. And in my opinion, joining a Life Group is... Way more valuable than any AAA membership. Most of my family are out of town, so to be in a group and feel loved like that, it's good, and it's something everyone should try.
0: Sign-ups for life groups in the foyer. There's a table out there. Some of the groups are full. Many of them are full, but we have four or five out there that still have room. So let me encourage you to consider joining.